Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Good to see you. Good morning, everybody. Good job on using the hymnals. I don't know if you knew how to do that. I was, uh, when we put them out, you just find things in these hymnals. And I found this thing this morning. It says, um, these are our hymnals, so this is ours. But it says, there's a building somewhere with our name on it. And then it's an ad for a... um, a fundraising lunch that we did after church, and so this this is a uh, this is kind of cool. So, oh, that's this building, by the way. Uh, it's the building that we use. So, all right, Psalm twenty-three. Of all the passages in the Bible, this is the one that has drifted from the confines of the religious world into the broader culture at large, mostly uh, because it's always read at a funeral. Anybody heard this psalm before? I don't think I've done a funeral or been to a funeral or it hasn't been read where I haven't read it. I mean, this is the psalm that gets read uh, at funerals. It has been called by many uh, an American secular icon because it's so ubiquitous. And again, if anybody knows any Bible verse, whether they attend church or not, the Lord is my shepherd is at the tip of their minds. And it, it makes sense that we read it at funerals. It is a source of hope, a source of comfort, not for the deceased, but for those who remain in their lives to get forward, to move forward, to find rest uh, in the midst of really difficult times. And the whole psalm itself is quite remarkable. It is, a, uh, it is filled with metaphor and images of who God is. It is a sketchbook of renderings of these different pictures of God, these pictures of God's character, and so on. And so maybe when you read it or hear it, that's what you hear, and you're supposed to hear that. That there's this God who is like a shepherd, but also this God who is a host who makes a table for me and invites me to sit at it, and all these different things about being cared for and watched after and uh, and guided and comforted and all sorts of things. These are the images that the, the poet wants you Uh, to hear. And central to this psalm is the promise, and this is what we want to sit with today for a few minutes, is the promise of God's loving presence, that there is a presence of God in our world and in our lives. The Hebrew word count, the the word count in the Hebrew is quite interesting. Um, Right in the middle of the psalm is the phrase, you are with me, And before that, there are 26 Hebrew words, and after that, there are 26 Hebrew words. The poet is intentionally saying this thing about God being with us. Everything flows in and out of that truth. And so we are supposed to see that. We are supposed to know that phrase. But the primary image that we get in Psalm 23 is that the Lord is my what? 
shepherd. Now, you and I, when it comes to shepherding, are almost completely removed from this metaphor. Unless you have sheep in your condo or wherever it is that you live, we are very removed uh, from this image. My first experience with sheep that I remember, I'm sure I went to a petting zoo or something as a kid, but my first real experience with sheep was at my wife's grandparents' farm. And uh, the first time I went there, um, there was this big, huge field next to the house, and we got out of the car, and I don't know, a million sheep? <laughs> I grew up in Decatur, so I, you know, these things are hyperbolic. It was like a million sheep. But they all came running to the fence, right? And they just stared at me like, you know? Have you ever seen sheep do that? And I always thought the one with the bell was the smart one, and my wife was like, no, that's the dumb one. (laughs) Well, why does it have the bell? Because I thought it has the bell, like, you know, when you're in kindergarten and there's that one kid that you hate who can, like, break the graham crackers on the line. Like, they get to pass out, thank you, they get to pass out all the stuff. That's what I thought the bell was, like, you're the best one, so you get the bell. But Mickey's like, no, that's the one that strays and runs away, and you need the bell. Did you know that? You learn something every day in the Lord's house. But that's the dumb one. It turns out that's the one that needs the most attention. And so I'm very unfamiliar with shepherding and sheep, but I do know that in the Bible, God... Pictured as a shepherd and we as sheep is a really common biblical metaphor. And the popular connection is simply, and this is what you've been told, this is what I was told. Uh, But the popular connection between God as shepherd and us as sheep is that God is all-knowing and that we are all stupid. This has been the popular display of this metaphor in church settings We are sheep because we are dumb and we are prone to ridiculousness. But that is actually not the basis of the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. That's rather silly when you think about it. When Jesus tells the story of the sheep, the one running away from the hundred, and the shepherd goes and finds the sheep, it's not because the sheep is dumb. It's because that sheep is valuable. The sheep have value to the shepherd, not just monetarily, It does give them their life. But the shepherd's first relationship to the sheep is one of value, not that they are stupid. And so I don't know if you grew up with that image in your mind. Uh, Maybe your pastor told you that. I'm sure I've said that in my mm, years of doing this. But the reality is the primary connection between shepherd and sheep is one of value and care and love. And the Bible uh, stretches this metaphor into other places too. It's not just an actual shepherd with a staff and sheep, but the Bible uses the word shepherd for things like kings, that the king is a shepherd over their people, that an overseer, that a leader is a shepherd over their people. The word pastor means shepherd, that there's a sense of care and value from the person to the sheep. And the shepherd's role is to care for, to provide for, to guide, and to protect. That much is clear. That makes sense. Now, Jesus said this very interesting thing about himself. 
He said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. Have you heard that before? The implication here is that there are bad shepherds. And that's true. The implication is that some shepherds are not good at caring for the people under their watch. There are bad presidents. There are bad mayors. There are bad employers. Can I get an amen? There are really bad coaches in the last couple of years watching these stories come out of universities and colleges of coaches that are so terrible to their players and athletes that it causes so much um, emotional damage. These stories are now, they're just bad coaches. There are bad parents. Nobody in here, of course. You came to church, you're a perfect person. But if you're a parent in the room, you know, like in the back of your mind, like, I'm not, I'm bad at this, you know. The, the thing that really, uh, when I started in youth ministry, we didn't have our first child until we were almost 30. So like for a lot of years, I was this really, um, uh, what would you call it? Like when it came to like giving parents advice about their kids and stuff, I was both completely clueless, but also kind of an ass about it, you know? <laughs> Because that's what happens when you don't, when you're not, you sort of have all these opinions about how it works. And then you have a kid and you're like, oh, I don't know anything. They don't even give you an instruction manual. They just give you free diapers. And they're like, good luck. You know, it's terrible. I bought a bike yesterday and it comes with all this paperwork. We had, we had our children and it was like, the exit is that way. If you need to come back here, uh, we know things have gone terribly wrong. Are you with me on that? Yeah, so if you are a parent, you understand that, like, you can be really bad at this. It's hard. It's hard to take care of people. There are, and please hold your applause, there are bad pastors, okay? There are really bad ones, um, you know, and so that is a, that is a reality, too, as, as we learn more and more about churches whose pastors and leaders are kind of damaging to their people, we, it, it, it reminds us that we're not really good, no matter what vocation, what title we have, we're just not really good at taking care of people all the time. We've all experienced the results of bad shepherding in our lives. We've all been let down by the people who are supposed to care for us, the people who are supposed to lead us. I mean, this is just the reality. We all feel cynical about people's ability to do their job as a shepherd, to care for us, to care for the company, to care for the family. All of us have been through that. But I also don't think it's entirely fixable, you know? Because as human beings, we are not wired for anything close to perfection. It's not possible. It won't happen. And we will always struggle to properly hold the tasks of oversight and care for others in the same hands. We are an inconsistent and imperfect people. As a species, we're a very inconsistent lot. And the shepherds in our life are more often than not people who are keeping score of our successes and failures. 
they are following and watching and taking notes and doing performance reviews and all of that. And our relationship with them is somewhat limited to debits and credits, to how we're doing, to how we're performing. And those relationships are necessary for sure. And when you have a job at a place, it's important that you do your job. It's important that I do my job. It's important that the people over me say, you're not doing it. We need to do this or do that. That's important. These are necessary things. But I think what that does to us over time is we recognize the need for something beyond that. We need a place that's so safe that we don't have to deal with that. And I love this phrase at the very end of Psalm 23. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Let's say that together. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. If you and I were walking around the city one night and I said to you, I could be wrong, but I think they're following us. That would evoke some sense of fear, some sense of panic, right? Nobody would be like, oh great, who is it? If I said to you, I think they're following us, it's a negative reaction. When I was in high school, uh, I got involved in a car chase. Uh, This may be the first time my mom's heard about this. Um, (laughs) But my friend and I were in the neighborhood where our high school was, and this car kept, like, running up on the end of my bumper. Uh, This is back when cars were steel, so you could just kind of hit each other and nothing happened. The airbags didn't come out because they didn't exist. Um, But there was clearly, like an intent to frustrate us and to, I don't know, maybe beat us up? I don't know. I don't want to know. And the passenger, my friend, was like, they're totally following us. We got to get out of here. So I pick up the pace a little bit. They pick up the pace. And they're never more than like two feet from the back of my car. And at some point, we're now going well over the speed limit. I'm cutting through parking lots to avoid this person. It's very scary at the same time, kind of awesome, you know, like, because I did all this with a stick shift, I just want you to know, it's unnerving to hear you're being followed, Um, when our church was uptown, I was walking to church one Sunday morning, in the building where we live, uh, you had to walk past Phipps Mall, and I'm walking there in the morning, and like, as soon as, it's a true story, as soon as I pass Phipps Mall, my phone notification goes off. This is back when I had a Twitter account. And it said, Phipps Mall is now following you on Twitter. <laughs> true story. I was like, and delete account, you know? <laughs> what would Phipps Mall ever like about anything I posted? Like, Being followed is a phrase that we would use in a negative sense. That someone is out to get us or to catch us or to find us in failure. And churches have been quite guilty of this too. That they've taken on the role of uh, pointing out people's failures. Which, by the way, doesn't work. Doesn't work. But we feel like we have to do that. But I would not say that's just the church. We live in a culture of tattletales. And we love to just point and say, that's where you're failing. That is where you're failing. You're failing really bad here. In fact, that's such a failure, you'll never recover. 
that's church and not church. That is just the culture that we live in. And we uh, are used to this. But at the same time, I think deep down, we think and know in our hearts that we need something beyond that. And the psalmist says that we are being followed by the Lord. But notice what the shadows are that the Lord is casting. Goodness and mercy. Isn't that beautiful? Now the Hebrew word for follow here is, is, is actually the word uh, radaf. And it means to chase, to pursue. God has a problem. He's stalking. He's trolling. He's on our tail all the time. But what he's chasing us with is not judgment or shame, but goodness and mercy. I know you need to hear that. I know that you need to leave this building today knowing that, knowing two things. God is on your trail, always, all the days of your life. But the shadows that he is casting over your life are of goodness and mercy, not of judgment or shame. Amen? The Lord is chasing us with goodness and mercy. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, um, in his hymn about Psalm 23, and I'll close with this, uh, this third verse says, the sure provisions of my God attend me all my days, and may your house be my abode, and all my work be praise. There would I find a settled rest while others go and come, no more a stranger or a guest, but like a child at home.